Let me go to prayer before we begin, if we may. Loving Father, we have sung of your greatness. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. We have also sung of the value of bowing before you. All hail the power of Jesus' name. And then we also sung of a question. How could... Why would you be willing to die for a wretch like me? All of those songs bring our attention to the magnificence of our triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is that thought this morning, O Lord, that we come into your presence realizing the greatness of who you are. The privilege we have as a congregation to not just raise our voice in song, but to raise our hearts in praise. And then to come and place our feet, our knees, if you will, the very throne as we come before you in prayer. May you, O Lord, be honored in this service. And we thank you personally and also congregationally. We thank you for the healing process of the human body. I know it's with Judy and Mike and Polly and myself and others in this congregation who have had the experience of not feeling well and yet we're here this morning praising you for all that you have done that's the physical side but along with that comes the spiritual recognition that we are kept safe in the hands and the arms of our Savior I don't know if there's a greater thought than that. And to even begin to realize the truth of that and the ultimate consummation of that is what our dear brother Dennis experienced the very moment as he took his last breath on this earth. The scriptures tells us absent from the body, presently with the Lord. And he began to breathe heaven's air. But that doesn't diminish the sorrow of the family. I know they know your truth. I know they stand on your promises as we do. But there's still that loss. There's still that empty chair. There's still that, that emptiness. And I pray for them. As, as we all have, I'm sure I, I pray for them. I, I ask, oh God, that your spirit would soothe their pain. Your spirit would encourage their hearts. Your spirit would strengthen their souls. 
and your spirit would strengthen them in their walk with you. That's our prayer for that family. But even tomorrow as we are thinking, if Lord willing, if you would even determine not to come tonight or, or even in the next few moments, if, if you ordain that we meet tomorrow for our memorial service, I pray that we would again honor the memory of our dear brother and friend, but we would again be captured by the wonder and the glory of your promises. Bless the family, O oh God, please. We too know, O oh Lord God, that uh, our, our numbers are diminished because our teenagers, a number of them, are up at uh, Camp Orchard Hill. I ask for their safety as they return this afternoon by your grace that you would allow them to arrive safely. I know that they're still planning on having a a, a youth meeting tonight here at church and, and strengthen them, Lord God, as they bring back excitement that it would be catchable by those that will be there tonight. We have some couples who are down at weekend to remember as they have come under some great teaching and instruction, some great encouragement, I know, and I'm sure, I pray that you would strengthen them even this day as they'll be leaving there earlier this afternoon and returning to their homes. Then too, Lord, we know that some individuals are anticipating surgery. Polly has another medical procedure coming next month and similar to what she's already had, and I pray, Lord, that you would again have that to be successful. Tom Erdman goes in on a Tuesday to have his knee replaced. That will be a good test of patience for Sandy and his daughter. But we pray for the doctors guide their hands as they perform that intricate surgery And yet this morning, too, Lord, we're awakened. And once again, the privilege of looking into your word. It's not an easy message this morning. It's one that carries with it warnings, but also encouragement. And we don't like to hear of the warnings. We don't like to be made aware of your judgment. But your word is clear. And I pray, O oh God, that you would use your spirit to speak to our hearts through your word. That we would be guided into a life that is lived to please you and not ourselves. And that's difficult these days. But yet it's valuable for eternity. So take your word and, and bend it to our hearts. And may we be receptive 
to what you would have for us this morning. I'll be careful to praise you in the matchless name again of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I invite you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Jude as we will continue on just in a few more verses. But I'm sure you've found out by now that Jude is the book just prior to the book of the Revelation. It doesn't have any chapters, it only has verses. And as we discussed earlier in our sermonic presentation, that Jude had a purpose of writing, but it changed. He tells us that he fully intended to write to the people concerning this great salvation, as he makes mention of in the first two verses. But he says something has happened, something has, has come into play that he needed to attend to. And he's making an appeal. And you might remember when we highlighted that word appeal. It's the same word that occurs, if you will, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Where Paul says, I beseech you. It's almost like grabbing hold of our shoulders, if you will, and shaking us to get our attention. Jude is making an appeal. He wants us to be aware of something that is happening. We don't know, perchance, if, if you will, we're not let in on the information as to whom he's writing to. All it says is he's writing to those who are called, who are blessed by God, and who are kept by Jesus Christ. Remember, Central Bank of Kenya. Ah, okay, that comes to play. We're not told any historical area, geographical area, we're not even given any church name as in other letters written before him. All we're told is he is cautioning a situation that is happening in the church at that time. And I find it interesting, by the way, that though archaic as this may be, the application is even evident for today. We, he's making an appeal that, as our series says, that we would defend the faith. Defend the faith. And as we looked at that, this is all review, I know, and some of you can take a nap now. This is all review. We're not talking about defending a faith. We're talking about defending the faith. And what is the faith? Well, for that, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's what the Apostle Paul writes to us there. This is the gospel by which you've been saved. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Was buried. Rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And was seen of many. That's the faith. And what we have in Jude's appeal, if you will, his beseeching, as he's told us, is that there are some ungodly individuals who are crept in unaware. Now that ought to catch your attention. How can someone 
who does not agree with the faith be unnoticed? Well, that may very well cause us to stop and think that these individuals must have been liked very much. They must have been appreciated. In fact, maybe some of them were even nominated to work uh, minister in the deaconess committee, elder deacons. But Jude has a different word for them. He doesn't name them, but he gives them a characteristic. They're ungodly. (laughs) Ungodly. In other words, what they're trying to do, as as it says to us in, in this wonderful verse here, that in verse 3 and 4, specifically in verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who notice they pervert or they change or they water down the grace of God. And notice it also says, they deny the master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that perverting of the gospel, uh, grace is an interesting thing. I, I leave it for you, but if you're interested in doing a word study, you will recognize the fact that what was happening is they were saying, oh, go ahead, God's grace is so wonderful. Just go ahead and live any way you want to, and God will forgive Well, the initialization initialization of that is true. God does forgive us, amen? He does forgive us. But that doesn't give us a license to live any way we want. But they were saying, go ahead. It's okay. It doesn't matter. And and this, this Jesus, Master, and Lord of your life thing, forget that. Forget that. He's, He's just a good guy. See how it was happening. Now, another characteristic of the book of Jude is this. Is Jude literally argues or at least presents what's called the triad. We saw that back in verse 2, or in verse 1, excuse me, that Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Then he goes on to say, To those who are called, to those who are blessed, or if if you will, beloved of God, and kept by Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love. Now, he lays out for us in verses 5 through 7, another triad. And that's our chore this morning. To look at that because what he's doing is he's calling to these people to remember. To remember situations. And in fact, the thesis of his statement in these three verses is this. You cannot get away with everything. God knows and he will punish. Oh, that's a scary thing, isn't it? For us this morning. We don't like to talk about this. We don't like to be made aware of the fact that God does condemn and he does punish ungodliness. 
He doesn't let it slide by. But when you pervert the grace and when you disregard the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, those are things that come into play, isn't it? So what is our chore this morning? Well, we have three illustrations to remember. But if you're in the book of Jude, I want to read for you the first seven verses to put it all in context so that we understand what Jude is doing. The book of Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Not a very pleasant passage, is it? But I consider it to be very, very crucial for our time. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but I trust this morning you'll remember. There are certain aromas that, <clears throat> that I smell that remind me of an event of my life. When they're tarring the roads, that smell reminds me of when I had my tonsils out when I was four years old. The smell reminds me of ether. They don't use ether anymore, do they? At least I didn't have it when I had my... You didn't have ether in your surgery, did you, Mike? No. Judy, you didn't have ether? No, no. Polly, you didn't have ether? They just put something in an IV and you're gone. Praise Jesus, I need some of that at night. But ether, and, that, and though it has been near on 65 years ago, that that was done, that smell is still in my mind and I can smell it. Even now, I can smell it. Just a, remem just a reminder of that. Oh, I, but then there's times too that I, when my wife cooks a pie, <laughs> I remember the first time she cooked a pie. It's better now, by the way, amen. <laughs> it's better now. But I, yeah, that's right. My brother goes, 
Yeah, I know. I'll get that later. But we have these things. Aromas do that. Pictures do that. We can look at a picture. Uh, Last week, Pastor Steve said things about what are you afraid of? Snakes. And he pointed over here because he knows I'm deathly afraid of snakes. I go to zoos and I do not go in the reptile house because I know what's in there. Clyde Peeling will never see me cross the doors. I hate snakes with a passion. And yet, my mother had a picture of me when we lived in Omaha, Nebraska, me and two other kids. I can't even remember their names, and I don't remember the event, but we're holding over the top of our heads a seven-foot black snake. Why would I do that? (laughs) Well, that's ignorance of younger life, I guess. Pictures have a way of doing that. So does music. Music has a way of drawing us to a time instantly in history when we first heard it. Oh, I'm, I know I'm boring you with stories, but I have in my collection, in my drawer, I can't tell you which drawer it is because then you'll go and want to destroy it. But I had the complete works of the band Chicago. Some of you have no Chicago, that's a city. Yeah, but it's a great band. The first band in history that used brass instruments, not just guitars, brass instruments. And I remember one of their songs that my, me and my best friend, as we're getting ready for marching band, we're, we're, you think we're some football players, we're taping our fingers because we were the best. We were the best. And as we're getting ready, we're playing Chicago, 25, 6 to 4, Saturday in the park. I think it was the 4th of July. Oh, yeah. Man, it takes me back to those days. In some ways, Jews is doing the same thing, isn't he? He's not using music. He's not using aromas. He's not using pictures. Well, in some ways he is. Because he's painting a picture of events that his audience would have recognized what happened. And he uses three of them. I want to draw our attention to them. The first one is in chapter, in verse 5. It's all about, if you will, the exodus. And, and you'll notice well, what you need to do. I'll leave it up to you. But if you go back to Exodus chapters 14 or 12 through 14, you'll see the whole story. We're not going to go back there. I leave that to you to maybe read this afternoon if you wish to. But it's a two-point story. It's a two-point account. For he says in verse 5, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, That Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. There's a comma there. You see, in in, in Exodus chapter 12 through 14, it's the coming out. And you might remember if you had a good Sunday school teacher, and and I'm sure that you did, and and you still do. You remember that as, as Moses writes in chapter 13 and verse 3 of Exodus, Moses says this, 
Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Remember, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. But what's interesting, you notice in verse 5 of the book of Jude, that it says here, and you'll notice that Jesus, it says here in verse 5, is the one who brought them out. Well, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Jesus? Now, wait a minute. Jesus? We, we have to wait till Christmas Day before we have Jesus. No, 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 no. Yeah. If you go back in the Old Testament, you'll notice certain phraseologies that draw our attention to the very specific one who is referring to. For instance, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate, if you will, display of who Jesus Christ is. And that's, that's who uh, Joshua had an argument. Well, he didn't have an argument with. He had a meeting with. As Joshua is looking at this huge city, how in the world are we going to do that? And he looks over here and he sees an individual that is in full arraignment of armament. It's described as the, the chief, if you will, of heaven's army. Well, who is that? It's Jesus. And during the time of Abraham, you might remember the book of Genesis. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But in Genesis, as the two angels and another individual comes to have a conversation with Abraham. The two angels left, but the one who stayed is Jesus. Plus, that brings us to the understanding, who is the only Savior? Who is the only one who can take us out of Egypt of sin? It's only Jesus Christ. Jude understands that we understand that. And what's even more amazing is the fact that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, even makes mention of that. I just want to take the time. We're not going to get through all three. I just want to take the time. We need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We need to see this. This is very important. Well, the whole word of God is important, amen? But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, here's another shaking of the shoulders. It's this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. In other words, wake up. For, he says, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Now, who is the rock? Christ. There it is. There it is. 
Let Scripture speak for Scripture. There it is. The rock was Christ. Well, let's go on. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Isn't that an alarming statement? As they desired evil. As they were coming out, set free, they still desired evil. Wow. But I'm afraid that mankind hasn't changed much. (laughs) At least that's what I see in the papers and in articles that I read. We find ourselves in somewhat the same situation, don't we? Well, the first part we got, Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12 to 14. But the second part of back in Jude, Jude, you will notice the second part. It says, afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Now you have to go to the book of Numbers. We will not take the time to do that. But we go to the book of Numbers. And and you realize in chapter 13 and 14. As your Sunday school teachers have taught you. That they refused to go into the promised land. Out of the 12 spies that were sent only... Only two said, God can do it. The other ten said, no, God can't do it. And that cancer spread throughout the whole nation that they began to wail against Moses. And in fact, if you go back and read that passage, you come to understand that they wanted to kill Moses. They wanted to kill him. But you'll notice that God's punishment, let me read for you, if I may, as, verse, as chapter 14 of Numbers finishes, it says, none of those who have seen my glory and yet have put me to the test shall enter the land. None of those. And as I said before, I'm sure you remember, if you had a good Sunday school teacher, and I'm sure you did, that God punished them from the age 20 on up that they traversed in the wilderness for 40 years. And they never got to go in. Never got to go in. Well, isn't it even interesting as we as I hope you have some kind of cranial recognition, that the writer of the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, and specifically we're looking at, if you will, <coughs> verse 7 through 19, the writer of Hebrews says, Oh, be careful that you don't fall away as those who had an unrepentant heart, who had a stiff-necked, and they said no to God. 
Now, when you read that passage, you, you may even begin to start thinking to yourself, oh, I, I would never do that. Oh, do not be so sure. Isn't it the Apostle Paul who also tells us we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than who we are? <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, we have no idea what we're going to be like come Tuesday or even by 6 o'clock this afternoon. That which we say we would never do, we may very well find ourselves in the muck and the mire of darkness. I think that's the first warning that Jude gives to his audience and to us today. Don't be so sure. God will bring about judgment. It's a high call, isn't it? It's a scary call. Now, I'm not, prop I'm not propagating that we start becoming, if you will, uh, uh, legalists. No. But we very well may not pervert the grace of God, thinking that we can get away with whatever we want, and God will forgive me. No. Be careful. Well, it only gets worse from here. The second one is really one of great controversy. I'll let you take the commentaries if you wish and, and uh, dive into them. Excuse me. But the second one has to do with angels. It says in, in, in verse uh, 6, And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, God, or Christ, Jesus, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Angels created powerful beings. Now, the interpretation of that goes from a, a myriad of things. It goes from the fact that it is, is that who are these ones? Reference to maybe. Jude is in referencing the fact that the, those angels that followed after Satan, Lucifer at the time, who was kicked out of heaven, could be some kind of a superpower angel. But if you want the full understanding of it, this is where you have to go back again to the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 6. Now when you go there, again, I'll leave that up to you. Time does not allow me to elaborate too, too much on this. But at the same time, when you read that, you're going to find some interesting things happening. Because in there, as the population of the earth grows, in fact, that's where Genesis chapter 6 begins, that mankind starts to reproduce, which obviously is a natural byproduct. And it says that as they had daughters... 
It says the sons of God saw them. Now, who are the sons of God? Well, you go to Job chapter 1. And you come to realize that there was a time when the sons of God presented themselves before God himself. And Satan was with them. It's an angelic host. It's a reference to the angelic host. Now, for some reason and somehow, I can't explain it to you. But I'm not willing to just pass it off and say, oh, that couldn't happen. But it did. The sons of God somehow, some way, got involved in immoral sexual activity with these girls, these daughters. And from them came what's called the Nephilim. The Nephilim. Giants, if you will. Huge people. Some think that <coughs> somehow, some way, Goliath was part of that. Well, that's for another time frame because Goliath wasn't around at this time. But we dare not just shake our head and say, no way, that can't happen. The Bible, they made a mistake. No, it didn't. It's there. But what we do know, when you begin to read continually in Genesis chapter 6, you realize that God said some interesting statements. He said, for man does continually evil in their hearts. And then God says, I paraphrase, I'm sorry that I even created them. Then he says, I am going to wipe mankind off of the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then comes the flood. But these angels, as described for us here in verse five, 6 of, of Jude, are kept in chains. They're kept in darkness. For the great day of God's judgment. Now don't go trying to search geographically for some deep cave somewhere. And thinking that they're there. No, I, I really believe that in reality what, is it, what, is, what Jude is talking about here. And I could be wrong. I hope I'm not. I don't want to give any false information. But I really believe that they are in outer darkness. A place that is inescapable. They'll never be able to get out of that. Why? Because they left a determined position that God had for them and they began to follow their own wants and their own desires and now they are reaping the punishment of God. Oh, now that should awaken us. That should stir our hearts, dear people. We ought not to think that we can begin to call our own shots and follow after our own evil desires, thinking that we're going to get away with it. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen. 
Now this at least ought to stir our hearts to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. When he talks about principalities and powers. Forces of darkness in heavenly places. That's what we fight against. And it's very true. Very true. I think I have time to do the last one. I'll move very quickly. Hopefully you'll go back and, and, and maybe uh, recounter for yourself all that's going on. But the last one is even, even more tragic. In fact, he leaves the worst for last, I think, when we're looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. And now we go to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, it's where Lot is rescued out of the cities. I leave you to go back and read, but, but what you will notice and should capture your minds at least to consider that it says that when God rained down fire and brimstone from glory, he didn't just take out Sodom and Gomorrah. He wiped out the whole valley. Which should give us a pretty good clue. It's not by accident that it's there. It should give us a pretty good clue that sin does not stay local. <laughs> it will affect other people, other places, other things. I think it's what maybe the Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 1. Specifically when you get over to verse 16 and, and down through to verse 32. But when you get to verse 32, that's the crutch of the matter because it is there that the Apostle Paul writes these things. He says, even though they know that judgment of God is at hand, if they activate themselves in this kind of lifestyle even though they know that it says in verse 32 catch these words it was encouraged it was accepted and it was encouraged how tragic how tragic the sad thing of it is dear people as this can even infiltrate and damage the church. And that's what Paul's telling us. Look at, I got something to share with you. Be awakened to the fact that individuals, ungodly people, have crept in and they're beginning to spread this poison, this evil. But God is not going to allow it to happen. Because he says, oh, by the way, these individuals were written about a long time ago. And we just went through that. So what is our hope for this morning? What do we have to hang our hats on? At least, pastor, give me some kind of hope. Give me some kind of instruction. Don't leave me in this gloom. Okay, I won't. If you go to the end of Jude, you'll find an interesting phrase. For it says in verse 21... Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves 
in the love of God. We'll get there and finally fully describe what that means, but what does it mean? Pastor, don't leave me hanging. We're not going to get to that. We're not going to get to that first probably to the end of March. Well, then we've got to have Easter. I'm sorry. April. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? I think this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to his young disciple, Timothy. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And if I may read it for you, I think you'll come to understand what he's getting at. He says, Timothy, evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse. But as for you, continue in what you have believed and have become convinced of. Knowing those from who you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How do you keep yourselves in the love of Christ? Simply two ways. Heed the warnings. Trust the promise. Reminds me of an old hymn, doesn't it? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Oh, dear people, the warnings are evident. And all that Jude is warning and telling us and encouraging us is to keep yourself in the love of Christ, trust and obey. Let's pray together. Glorious Lord, the words are very stark, in some ways fearful, but yet at the same time, for our encouragement and for our betterment. May we, O Lord God, not be like those who have come in ungodly and have perverted the grace that you give to us. And certainly, may we never discount that Christ is our master. He's our Lord. And even though the warnings are very evident, even though we realize that punishment, righteous, holy punishment is due upon the effects of sin. But yet even in that, there's hope. For we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Let us not forget these warnings. Let us not glaze over them. Let us not disregard them. But as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, they're for our example. 
that we would not be doing the same thing. Even though it's a difficult passage, we don't like to hear, but it's for our betterment that we would trust and obey. And so through these things, I leave, O oh Lord, to your word and to your spirit that it would direct our hearts to the right reaction to the righteousness of our God. And we'll be careful to praise you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen.